Welcome to the Dad's Move Podcast. My name is Joe Saladino, and we are recording our fourth peer interview with Jalisa Wilson. Yes. Hello. Yay. Hello. I'm so excited Thank to talk with you. Thank you for having me, Joe. Oh, man. This is, this is going to be fantastic. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about you a little bit, what you do, why you like the work you do, and um, what's available and what's coming up in the future. So, really simply, born and raised, where are you from? Bremerton, Washington. Um, Bremolo. Okay. (laughs) That explains a lot. (laughs) Absolutely. Born. Can't really fully say raised, but moved up to Federal Way when I was five. Um, My mom, she moved up here mainly for job opportunities and also more independence. We had a couple aunts that were living up here as well. That's what really gave her that push. But it's the fact that there's more money up here. So, um, my mom, she really, really did really well with us living up here. More opportunity as far as me being able to go to good schools. I went to Todd Beamer, so it's predominantly a suburban school, suburban area. But um, yeah, suburban girl, <laughs> city suburban girl for sure. Got out of Kitsap County. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm Kitsap County born and raised. So oh, little... see. Yeah, Port Orchard. Not a city boy. Nope. No, no, <laughs> especially not back then. See, uh, started out in Alala of all places, so mm. really not. But okay, so Federal Way. Yep. Going to school there. How how are how are the school years? Man, very interesting. I could say I was a very interesting kiddo. Like at the age of like six, I would say is when people really started to call me unique because I would wear different colored shoes <laughs> that didn't match <laughs> dirty. But um, I was very eccentric in middle school. I had a lot of mental health, I would say, in like eighth grade. So I struggled with finding friends. Um, and I was so eccentric to where I didn't even know who I was, if that makes sense. Like, I'm like, I don't know if this is a normal thing to like. Like, I loved bright colored pants or I used to listen to so many different types of music. And I'm a woman of color. So when you're a woman of color, there's a certain standard. Like, it's like, listen to rap music or always do this with yourself. And it's like, I wanted to live by Jaleesa. So I've always known that I was eccentric in school or people would low key call me crazy. (laughs) And they would say crazy is a good thing. It fits you. Cause I always had the fun, crazy hair and the styles, but, um, very emotional. I would Mm -hmm. say most of my childhood, I cried almost every day. And, um, it all started like as a kid, of course, we all have trauma, but I think at the age of 10, when I, sorry, this might get a little bit. Let's go. Let's go. Let's you dive. If you're, if you're down to dive, we're down to dive. If, go if you guys it. are down to listen to this. But yeah. um, <laughs> so I would say at age 10, you know, my first heartbreak, unfortunately was from my father. And I think that really hit me because when you're at the age of 10, you can really adjust to everything. You're very able to digest different types of trauma. You're able to have, you know, insecurities at that age. And so I had a dad that didn't show me enough love, mental love, emotion, all of that. But with my brother, my brother did basketball. So he was more of like the all-star of the family. And I was just tall for no reason and awkward (laughs) and weird. But it kind of made me be more of the kid on the back burner, kind of watched my brother evolve. So that kind of gave me some confidence issues. But my mom got pregnant when I was 12. And um, that was also my, pretty much my existence was just being a sister but taking care of my little sister and being that backbone from my mom because she was single. And so after my dad left, my mom got pregnant again um, with my little sister, who's now 17. Um, Yeah, so I had to kind of 
figure out how to navigate my own trauma at 10, you know, and then it's like two years later, there's a new baby. So you have to be able to mature yourself and figure out how to be that second parent for that child. Cause my mom was still single after she got pregnant. Um, and so, yeah, I spent most of my middle school years taking care of my sister and then not being able to heal from my trauma as a, as 10, 10 year old little kid. Um, my brother, he, we had a really weird relationship. So he was like my father figure, mm-hmm. but I had an uncle Duchess and uncle Duchess was there. He met my mom in Bremerton when I was born because my mom was a Navy wife at one point mm-hmm. and my uncle Duchess was a chef in the Navy. And so he was pretty much like my father, but my uncle Duchess, he was, um, of course like a flamboyant queer man, um, taught me so much about makeup, skincare, cause my mom worked so much. So when she wasn't there, uncle Duchess knew how to be the dad and the mom for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he taught me so much about, about just being a woman, a young lady mainly, and then just like navigating school and friends and style. Cause I kind of was just all over the place with my style, a centric kid. Um, and one thing people would call me, it sucked all the time. White girl, white girl, like all oh. the time. Yeah. Cause of how I talk and the way I represent myself. And I think there's no such thing as a color. Like you don't, you don't act anyway. It's in your heart mm-hmm. and who you are as a person. If you are just a person that has lots of, you know, properness to you, or if you have someone that loves rock music, that's just who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like or, you know. Right. Um, but what, I was, oh, go on. Uh, uh, what do you think that, that did to you emotionally? Like how did that hit when they'd call you that and treat you that way? Confused me. Mm-hmm. It confused the heck out of me so much because like in school it was like you weren't black enough for the black kids but then you weren't white enough for the white kids and that's I think that's why I was seen as eccentric okay because I was like in the middle there was no you know side for me to be on but I really never felt cherished by either side which is so weird and it's not really cherished but my confidence in certain ways were broken down by each side because I felt like with, with white guys, like my partner is white, but I've always had attraction to Caucasian guys, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I've had a boyfriend that was like, you're not, you know, light skin enough. My dad's not going to like you or whatever, whatever. Oh. And I was super duper young, like learning about what boys were. And I was only 14 at the time. And so back in those days, we didn't really talk enough about racism or differences. It's just like, it is what it is. So I didn't really know, but I always had people tell me like, white girl, white girl. And I'm like, what the heck? And my mom's like, Jaleesa, you are fine the way you are, girl. Just do you. My mom never taught me how to not like somebody. She never told me about racism. She just taught me, be who you are. People will be against you, of course, for that. But don't hate somebody because of what they look like or what they represent. So I've always known love. And Uncle Duchess told me that. And I used to have, I always had long ponytails. So Black girls would be like, it's a weave, it's a weave. And they would try to like pull on it. So my uncle would be like, the next time somebody does that, Julissa, just swing your hair around. And so, <laughs> so now that I'm an older woman, I'm like, you know, trying on different hairstyles. I do braids every now and then, curly, straight, you know, just represent whatever it is and beat that stigma. Um, I think I love Uncle Duchess. Oh my gosh, you would adore him. <laughs> I, it, it, it sure sounds like it. <laughs> uncle Duchess is the best, but he... I would say he's most of my childhood and teenage years as well. He oh, watched wow. me grow. He's watched me fall. He's watched me pick myself back up as well. And um, he would always tell me, you're going to be okay. <sighs> out of all people, out of all of my, my babies, all my nieces and nephews, Jaleesa, you're going to be okay. So I don't worry about you. And, but I worry about myself. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I think he told me when I was a teenager, I'm going to be okay. That's amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Shout out to Uncle Duchess. Yes. And what a name. What a name. I love, yes. love it. Do you want to know the inside joke? <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. The real name in the queen world is he's Dirty Duchess. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Duchess. So listen. <laughs> love it. Take it how y'all want. <laughs> love it. Okay. So going through middle school, um, kind of second parenting, mm-hmm. just kind of working through. Where'd you go to high school? Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer. How was that? Oh, man. It was really hard. Like ninth grade, 10th grade. 11th grade was when I got super oppositional and but we'll get to there in a second all right but ninth grade and 10th grade I was a really good kid still very emotional but trying to figure out how to navigate high school because my brother he went too but he was two years older than I was and so he was known as like the basketball guy and they called me Jamar's little sister so I wasn't sure Jaleesa I was <laughs> you didn't have an identity of your own really no. it was a connected identity yes all the time and it just made me like kind of wanting to like branch out of a bubble, burst out of this bubble. Cause I'm like, dang, I just feel like I have no, no sense of self. And so once he graduated, I started to make friends. I made friends who didn't go to school. They kind of dropped out and they were a little bit younger than me, but they were getting into stuff. And I knew what the stuff was that they were getting into, but I had my own trauma that I kind of had to like build up and not talk about. So I was just like, I'm going to try some of these things with these people and I'm going to see if I can have a community. Mm -hmm. So when 11th grade hit, I found a community and it felt like they were just family, but we did toxic things together. We got in so much trouble and bonded through our trauma. Trauma bonding. Yes, with alcohol. I, like, I, I, I feel like, like that, it, it, like uh, like Sesame Street. That's the word of the day. Yeah. Hey, oh, trauma bonding. Right. At 16 years old and like, a whole, <laughs> you know, it's like the blind leading the blind. Right. That's literally how it felt. But then I was able to find a sense of self. Hmm. And I'm like, yes, I'm that girl. Other kids in high school, I'm going to tell you guys, I, they did not like me. Like they thought I was still weird. And, you know, I had names of myself that weren't the best. And so my um, previous friend group that was like my family and helped me with my sister, they weren't the best kids, but it's like uh, the misfit kids or like kind of like the Sandlot in a way, you know, right, 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 right. <laughs> looking out for each other. We sure. don't have the best stories, but we're all misfit in some way. Um, but anyways, my friends back in those days, they did me wrong. Situation happened, did me wrong. You know, it was in senior year. That's when it all happened. And I had no friends for a hot minute in senior year. I was kind of like by myself, dragging my feet, depressed. Um, and that's when I knew mental health was like really, really real for me. I started to self-harm mainly in high school. It started in middle school and I was very quiet about it. Sure. And then um, high school, it got worse and worse because I was doing things to where it was like, my little sister was finding out and she was, yeah. So having to take care of your little sister and then lose people who were your community at one point, you know, like I'm like, dang, like I had, my mom's working. So I had no natural support. I had myself going through grief at, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old actually at this time. And so, um, there was one girl that really, really, really changed like my whole perspective of high school. Her name was Cassie and she was known as kind of like, pretty cool like she had a lot of friends went to all the fun parties um and people really liked her you know some people didn't it's like regina george in a way um but (laughs) she became friends with me because we we shared a class and um she was just like hey do you want to hang out with me sometime like do you're funny do you want to be my friend and i was just like 
Who? <laughs> You're looking behind you. Yeah, like, like, who wants to be my friend? Like, I'm the emotional girl that people think is weird. Like, nobody wants to be my friend. And she's like, well, I kind of want to be your friend. So Aww. she took me in. She had money. She had a nice car. I didn't have anything back in those days, you know? And so people would ask her, why are you hanging out with Jaleesa? Like, she's weird. And she was like, I love this girl. She's cool. Aww. So Cassie gave me, I would say, the best high school experience in senior year. At the end of it, I went to house parties and really got to, like, make friends and got to feel, I got to feel like I was somebody for once. And it was because we were hanging out with guys that were kind of older and I was getting attention and just a lot of confidence. And so... That was a great high in my high school. I went to prom and I had a best friend named Jordan. He was my best, best friend. We will, I will never see him again, unfortunately. And he will never hear this podcast. Nah. But, <laughs> but yeah, he was one of my bestest friends. And we went to prom together, had such a good time, did everything too. Me, him and Cassie were like a clique. Um, and then we graduated from high school. And that's when a lot of people either passed away, got onto drugs, went to the military, or just kind of let life take over. What, what year did you graduate? 2012. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like, I grew up with everybody. So everybody from high school in middle school, I went to elementary school with. Mm-hmm. So in our my community, it's like we all kind of watch each other evolve. And all we don't connect, but we all still watch each other evolve. Mm-hmm. It depends on your financial status, I would say, or economic status. But um. That's mainly what it was for me in high school, just trying to navigate. But then at the end of high school, I got a taste of feeling confident. And I had people actually like give me a chance and see that I wasn't just this emotional, weird person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they started to call me crazy, but I'm crazy in a more fun party way. Oh, okay. and so that's when it evolved. And I was like, I'll take it, whatever. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But people used to like think Jaleesa's the type to like harm somebody or be the school killer oh. or something. Yeah, because I was so emotional and oh. so angry at one point. So they got to watch me evolve. And now that I'm kind of doing this work, people are constantly still watching me through social media. And so they're like, dang, I remember, girl, you were wild. Like, oh. you were, you know, crying all the time and fighting people and fighting teachers. And I was a hot mess. And I would say in high school, middle school. So with my friends watching me, knowing what I'm doing today, they're just like, you are doing it, girl. You go, girl. <laughs> so, uh Diving in just for a second, um, do you think those difficulties, that was a lot of the trauma and you just uh, lashing out, not knowing how to communicate Yes, those Abs- difficulties? Absolutely. Like no one, because my, my mom had mental health. So I was a kid watching my mom sometimes even like go to jail. Like, yeah, because she, she had so much of her own stuff back in mm-hmm. like, and she's a foster kid too. Oh wow! So back in the seventies, you know, you don't really have guidance at all. And then you're supposed to grow into this world to be like, I'm a parent and I can give you this guidance, but it's like, no one taught her how mm-hmm. mostly as a foster child. So with having my mom and seeing her react and have her barriers, it kind of made me learn, okay, so maybe reacting like this is how I get my way, like cussing people out or standing for myself. So like, all that I genuinely know is to be a strong person because that's what I've seen, what I've been kind of learned. That's what gets you through is just being strong and making sure no one does you wrong. But I've learned through watching my mom and me being 29 years old now, you can still be strong. But how do you how do you give that? Like, how do you stand for yourself? It's not about what you say, but it's how you say it, how you do it, you know, um, delivering your, the delivery. And so I think that's 
that's like what I'm learning now is like back in the day, I didn't know how to do the delivery. I didn't know how to give that delivery to people. I just knew shouting and crying and yelling because that hmm. was my normality as a kid. And sometimes it's still in me deep down. Do I want to show those emotions? Absolutely, because it's in my blood. And both sides have harm. My dad's side in that bloodline has harm. My mom's side of the bloodline, there is harm as well, you know? And mm -hmm. so there's two bloodlines that I have inside of me, and it's like they're both fighting that beautiful light that I also have inside of me that's not attached to that anymore. Mm -hmm. The old me would let it just like consume my whole being, but now I have a new sense of self where it's like, that's not Jaleesa. Like she doesn't even have to touch those two generations. Oh, wow. but it's so rough because they're both so strong and they scream at me. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was. Sorry, that big tangent being no, a kid. No, that's great. No, that's great. <laughs> but the, the reason I bring it up is because um, you're a youth peer mm -hmm. and uh, I, I, you know, work with parents, but with their kids. And we come across a lot of kids that are going through a lot of difficulties and they're labeled as difficult. They're labeled as you're going to be a this or you're going to be a that. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a lot of times it's because they didn't have the best upbringing. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have so a lot of these things. And then generationally, like you yeah. said, like the parents didn't have, so yeah. they don't have. Mm -hmm. And so it, kind of the the work we do, right, is finding those resources and strengthening those up so kids have opportunities and they don't yes. become what they were labeled. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I yeah, it, it drives me nuts to have the, oh, well, you know, the outcast kid, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Well, probably not. Exactly. You ever listen to the dang kid? You mm -hmm. ever, you know, so, so no, that's perfect. That's why I brought it up. Thank you. Um, so what do you... Uh, before we get out of high school years, or maybe this will catapult us out of them, <laughs> but um, what were the big things that helped you mature and change in those ways? Like, like, like you still have that oppositional in you is what you're saying. Yes. And I, and I think when you have trauma, when you have family background like that, that's there, mm -hmm. right? Like there's just stuff that is there, but at some point, hopefully we learn how to not, mm -hmm. you know? So what were the big things? things that helped you change and helped you man forgiveness mm. forgiving Ooh, that's a big one it's huge that's yes. a big one we might take, need to take a minute for that Woo. <laughs> stretch it out that stretch part. it out all right yeah forgiving like with anything in life because it's like i've had trauma more than just from my family it's from mm -hmm. like friends and lovers too and so it's like I have to learn that, yes, these people have hurt me, but I have to be able to forgive for myself mm -hmm. and then also give grace. Like I am a Christian. So like back in the day, I'd be like karma, like I want karma to get them all. Right. Vengeance. But, yeah. Vengeance. Vengeance. Like, yeah. But you don't want that. You have to say universe or God have mercy on their soul because whatever that they have going on, obviously, like they are so much in pain that they're willing to hurt someone that's loving. So if you can hurt me, that's so like... I have all this love to give and you can hurt me and you know it, then that means that like you need grace and you need mercy. And I pray that somebody can, you know, heal your soul. You need healing as well. So that's why I forgive. I'm going to forgive you because you have no clue how to forgive yourself because you're doing it to me and to others. You don't know how to forgive other people. It's kind of like um, being in an abusive relationship. 
and it, it changes for other people. But when you've been in an abusive relationship throughout your life, you're going to always, not always, but most likely you're going to have those traits. And you're going to have those traits because you don't forgive the person. You don't forgive mm. what you went through. You don't forget it. It hurts so bad to where you want to do it to other people. And sometimes it's so subconscious. You don't realize that you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you could still be this amazing person, but you have to learn to forgive. Because if you don't forgive yourself, if you don't forgive others around you, you're going to continue to look at other people as if they're the person that's done mm -hmm. you wrong. And subconsciously. And so it's like. I did that to people. I would mm -hmm. always mirror people as like my father or as my whoever. And it's mm -hmm. like, I can't do that anymore. Just because you have these traits doesn't mean that you're going to be that person to me. It doesn't mean that you mm -hmm. are that person. You know, it sucks that we are in this, like my best friend, she did me dirty. She left me. I'm hurt. I'm angry mm -hmm. because it reminds me of like my dad leaving me. And she's been there with me for like 12 years of all generations of my time, all phases. She's been there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, do I hate her deep down? Yes. But I forgive her. And I, I want God to have mercy on her soul because if I don't, I'm going to sit here and have all this like anger and give that to other people. You don't have to digest it. You can spit mm -hmm. it out. You can feel it for a second, but spit that stuff out and like forgive and move forward because you're going to have another person that's going to hurt you in two weeks or in, in a month mm -hmm. or three months later. So you don't want to have a full roster of people that you just can't forgive. So forgiveness. Sorry. There you go. I, I hope that made sense, y'all. That made but. a lot of sense. I, I I swear, as I was listening, I'm like, if I read this as a paragraph in a book, I'd be underlining. <laughs> Just like, forgive and move on. Forgive and move on. I'd be, be like, no, underlying didn't work. Where's my highlighter? Just yes, because it, imagine having a backpack full of like people that have done you dirty and you're trying to get up to this beautiful mountain, look at the view. I cannot get up there if I just have all the stuff sitting on my back. So the best thing for me to do is open this freaking backpack and yeah, like just get rid of it, get rid of it and forgive whatever happened because there's going to be a new time where this hurt is going to hurt 10 times more in the future. Well, I, I think, I think you hit on something. Another thing really, really important is the idea of hurt people hurt people. Period. Right. Period. And that, that's hard for us a lot of times to accept and live with mm -hmm. that, well, why, why are they hurting someone? Most likely because they have been hurt. Mm -hmm. It's so true. It's, and it's so subconscious too. Yeah. I also realize that it's like, I don't think people wake up in the morning. They're like, I'm going to do this to this person, or I'm going to trigger this person. I don't think it's that, <laughs> but right. I think it's like, you've been so used to someone doing you so dirty to where it's like, that's your normality. Like you mm -hmm. think that this behavior might even be normal and then you can do it to somebody else and not even realize that you're taking those traits. Right. And so for me, like as a kid, like when I used to get angry, I would say such nasty, hateful stuff to get my way. Mm -hmm. And like, I realized I'm like, Ooh, my sister, that's what made me hit me. My sister came down last year. I got mean with my sister cause she's 17. I'm 29. We, Mm, buttheads sure and i'm learning to forgive her my sister told me because we have the same dad Ooh, when you're mean you act just like junior you act just Ooh. like that man but she didn't lie mm -hmm. and i wanted to be so mad because it triggered me i'm like why would you say that like what the heck you know this man is you know but i thought and i'm like okay i have to think about when i do react to people when i am upset 
I do act like that man. And it's subconsciously, but it's in my blood. The savagery. Mm-hmm. I'm right. a savage deep down because it's on both sides of my family. But it's about how do you beat that stigma and how do you represent being a boss as a mother? Because I'm a mom too. Mm-hmm. How can you beat that stigma of being a boss mom, being a boss worker, and wanting to be a leader in the future? I can't keep that man attached to me in any way if I want to be all of those people. And so I have to learn how to forgive so that anger in my heart is not still there. And um, I think that's, that's what I mainly wanted to say is like my sister last year for Christmas visiting and identifying that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, and it, it, it's, it's one thing if it's subconscious and you're doing stuff, but when it's identified by somebody oh. and you accept it and you know it, then it's on you. Mm-hmm. I always feel like if you're doing something and you don't realize it's wrong and no one's pointing it out, that's one thing. But when it's identified and you accept it as what it is, then it is officially on you to do it or not do it. Yes, that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's shake that off for a minute. That was, <laughs> no, no, that's good. Mm-hmm. That was deep. That's good. Um, so high school, mm-hmm. you graduate. Yes. What's after graduation? Oh, man, y'all. Beauty school dropout. Oh. <laughs> no. well, we can do some grease. Okay. Yes. I, can find, I can find some background music. We yes. can do some grease. All yes. right. So I went to beauty school because my mom gave me an ultimatum. Either you get yourself a job, go to school, or you can't be here. Right. And I'm, get out. Get out. Right. But I was a camp counselor at the age of 16 because I, I, I forgot about that, y'all. <laughs> I had a youth peer partner when I was 16 because oh. I was so, yeah, that part. So, oh. And it's not, I'll, I'll, I'll mention that because I was so oppositional <laughs> <laughs> that I had a youth peer partner. And my greatest skill was the fact that I was a good care, carer for my, my sister. I could be a good mom. I could be a good daughter if my mom needed me to. So she left the house and had to work. My sister was fed, the house wasn't on fire, and the house was clean. So I had the jobs done, so therefore my mom was like, okay, we got to get you figured out on, like, what is a good vocational goal? So skills mm. and strengths were my peer support's main focus for me. And um, she was like, you know what? I have an idea for you. You're going through mental health right now. You know, I know you're trying to figure out how to make some money on your own. Let's get you in a program. So she had me become a counselor in training for a camp. Mm. Um, it was at the community center in Federal Way. And I did that for about like almost four years. And it was really cool because I was able to learn so much about like just working with different types of kids and different ages. Um, And I was able to also learn more independence because they let me be a leader a few times. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, cool. They took us to like wild waves, Mariners games, just the list went on. So that was, I had great experiences, but I was very Mm -hmm. emotional while working that job and I remember (laughs) I'm being real with you guys too yeah I ended up trying to go back my fourth year to apply again to like see if I can like do another interview and like work again she told me I would like for you to try to go and just like figure out things with your mental health like I can tell that the past few years it's been very hard for you so I was like dang like what (laughs) I pretty much got fired for being emotional nah (laughs) but it made sense because I was coming to work late and I had tears down my face coming in. My makeup was a mess because I would walk to work from my house having a fight. Oh, I'm not going to say who the fight was with, but I would have right. like an actual altercation. And, you know, I was only like 16 at the time, having a walk in the rain to get to work to show up for these kids. Walk back home. It was a lot. And she, I think she realized and gave me grace. So she did let me go, you know. So I stopped doing that. So after high school, yeah, I went to beauty school, whatever. 
I liked it for a little bit, but I kind of noticed that it just wasn't for me. Standing up for mm-hmm. hours, I failed, unfortunately, and they wanted me to, I'd had a big test to take and I failed the test. And I had to take another course all over again. So I just dropped out. I took the money and I said, peace. Mm-hmm. I made some friends who weren't the best for me again. And um, I spent a lot of my student loans and had a hot girl summer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I did. had a hot girl summer. I, you know, hung out with friends and met boys and took advantage of the fact that I was able to get money from student loans right. and um, got a whole bunch of tattoos. Um, but I was able went for it. I went for, you went it. for it. I went out. I was send, at, it. <laughs> send it. Yes. And um, I made a best friend and we're not friends anymore. But she was a phenomenal person. Mm-hmm. And she was what I needed. We stopped being friends, I would say, like about two months, three months ago. But um, I met her when I was 19. And um, she was just great. We had so much fun. And I started to drink a lot. I will say she wasn't the best influence for me because we drank all the time. Mm-hmm. Always getting plastered. Um, and uh, I would say that kind of gave me different opportunities to meet different people and I got more curious so I started raving a lot mm-hmm. hardcore after okay. high school and then I started getting into drugs and um, when I got into drugs it was supposed to just be like oh one time type deal but then I had a friend and she was like let's do it this weekend like I did it back to back in the weekends like mm-hmm. all weekend just kept going and drinking on top of it then the next weekend again came up more drugs and so it was mainly like recreational party drugs, but they weren't good for my brain Sure, and they weren't good for my mental health at the time at the time. So I noticed that, um, Ooh, <laughs> I noticed that I kind of got a little bit more oppositional with my mom. It affected my relationship with my sister, mm-hmm. my brother, um, lots of arguing. I was barely home mm-hmm. and that kind of transitioned into me meeting people online and men, older men online. And I was only like 19 years old and just kind of sleeping around and figuring out ways to make money. I had a sugar daddy at a young age and it was for me to be able to just make it because I dropped out of beauty school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was this guy that wanted to take care of me and he did. He did take good care of me. He was very sweet, but forced me to do things I didn't want to do. But I had to make a living at the time and then I did what I had to do. How about that? And then Mm -hmm. I met another guy a little bit after that and did the same thing. And I stuck with that for a minute. I was with that dude and doing what I had to do for a hot minute. Um, And so, yeah, I would say after high school, it was a lot of just Mm self-harm, but it did not necessarily self-harm in like actual, like hurting myself, but like, I guess, sleeping around and taking drugs and doing whatever I wanted at the time to feel numb. So self-harm in putting yourself in risky situations yes. and bad situations for yourself. Yes. Yes. Literally. Like it's, Listen to that. That's some ownership mm-hmm. right there. That's yeah. some ownership. Yeah. Absolutely. And I thought it was like okay to do it because I felt I never had good interactions with men growing up. So all that I thought that was normal was men using me for my body like <laughs> with what they wanted. So for me, I was just like, okay, sure. Like, it is what it is. I need some weed or I need this, you know, Mm -hmm. why not? Um, but I had friends that were so worried about me Mm -hmm. and I didn't know my friends were like already wild people. So I'm like, dang, if my friends are worried about like me, like what am I doing? But it was, it was subconscious, but I kept going back for more and meeting more people online. And like, I don't know what it was. It was like the thrill. 
you know, and I was so young. There was a time when I went to Monroe and I met a dude online. We talked for one day. Nah. He picked me up from an elementary school and drove me all the way out to Monroe at 19 years old. And I was out there for a weekend. My mom thought I was at a friend's house. I had no clue who this man was. I could have died. Yeah. I've been in many yeah. situations. And this has happened more than once. You could still be in a basement. Mm-hmm. Till this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was all because I wanted some food and some, you know, substances. Right. <laughs> you know, but, you know, as a youth, that was my worth to mm-hmm. me. Because that's what I was shown by men and by right. even friends who were women, even aunties, my mom's friends. Hell, like I did never felt like I was enough. So I felt right. like if this person is willing to pick me up from a far place and spend time with me and do whatever he wants, I'm enough then. That is enough. And um, I think what really, really hit was meeting my current partner. Mm-hmm. He saved my life because I was still doing that, still doing that before I met him and I was like 20, I met him at 21 and I met him in January. I turned 21 in April of the year before I met him, 2015, I'm in 2016. But before I met him, I was still doing all of that from the time I was 19 all the way until I was like 21 meeting dudes and just trying to find ways to make myself feel good. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I met Josh through a friend and the goal was for me to just sleep with this friend and get drugs and leave. (laughs) not a good thing at all like what 21 years old my mom's like where are you but I moved out at the time too Mm. and I had a really rough relationship with my mom so I moved out when I was 21 sleeping on a blow-up mattress and I was living out of a garbage bag a box and a few bags (laughs) and just trying to figure out how to make it you know um and I met Joshua (laughs) so um uh, question for you. Yeah. So it, and, and I mean, I could be off, but it sounds like the kind of the running theme of your childhood and going into adulthood is, um, or was, uh, others are worthy of your love and your care because you're taking care of your sister for a long time and, mm-hmm. and your mom and My the mom. household and yep. friends and, yeah. So at what point were you worth your love? Never. That's the thing about it. Like, oh my gosh, no. I couldn't even think about myself being beautiful. Like if someone said that I was beautiful, I was like, they want something. Like mm-hmm. there's something that they want from me. They're tripping. Mm-hmm. But me being worthy of my, mm-hmm. that wasn't even possible. Okay at all and I've been told that it was by my peer she did an amazing job phenomenal Mm -hmm. she taught me how to let out rage and how to not let it stick to me but at the end of the day I still did because I was so young and just because I had a peer it didn't change my whole life it changed that moment but once she left I was like dang okay Mm -hmm. now I gotta navigate this by myself right and I think everything that she did teach me in that moment went down the drain at my, in my adolescence. Mm-hmm. So being like 17, 18, 19, and then going to 20, it's like, right. all of that doesn't even matter. Cause now I have to learn how to survive and stay above water. Right. But you're worthy of your love now. Yes. So how did you get there? How did I get there? How did oh you my get gosh. There? I think boundaries. Like, I think what it was is like, 
I love the life that I live today and I love my partner so much, but I've learned to, you feel it. You feel it in your heart when you start doing stuff for yourself. And when you start doing things that a partner can't really do for you, you're like, oh my gosh, I really do love myself. Like I'm really taking care of my skin. I'm working out. I'm doing things. When you get up and you put Mm -hmm. pants on every day and you look in the mirror, I think for me, that was something that was like, you got to love yourself, girl. Like you're up and you're able to do this. And I have a daughter. I don't have just like a son, but I have a daughter who has to, every kid has to have self-confidence, of course, Mm -hmm. but a young biracial young lady Unfortunately, I had a mom, but I didn't have that self-confidence because Mm -hmm. my mom didn't really have confidence in herself. And no one ever taught me what it really was. Mm. My mom loved herself, but she loved herself through like materialistic things, unfortunately, like trying to get the nicest house and stuff like that. But really loving yourself for your soul, not Mm. for your face, but your soul, that's huge. And so I think it's like having a crisis and being a mom and having a beautiful relationship, but having a partner that doesn't really understand mental health like that mm-hmm. it made me realize i have to love myself i have to get up mm. i'm forced like no matter what i cannot love myself and give myself that love because then i can't love my baby the way she deserves and that's what my mom went through people didn't give her that love and she didn't know how to love herself she right. loved us the way that the best way that she could but she struggled and it was so hard for her to love herself so it was hard for her to love us a thousand percent the way that she knew that she wanted to she wanted to, but that trauma was like kicking her butt and punching on her. Right, so I think right? I have to look in the mirror and be like, do I want to be that? Like, not like that. I love my mom, but do I want to have look in the mirror and remind myself of that version of my mom that I once remembered? Mm-hmm. I don't want that for myself. My mom's not that person anymore at all. Like she is killing the game, but me and her both remember who that old woman was back in the day. That young woman actually was back in the day. And I think that was trauma for both of us. So I feel like for my daughter and how precious and so innocent she is, I got to save myself for her. I got to save me from myself so I can make sure that she's safe no matter what, because I brought her in this world. She didn't ask to be here. So my one job is to make sure that I can take care of myself so I can take care of her so she can learn to love herself. Mm Not to just be successful and to just be this like super happy person. It's about like loving yourself and feeling that light in your heart and knowing that when I wake up, I have a purpose because I'm a good person to others. Mm -hmm. When I wake up, I know that I'm going to touch a heart in some capacity. That's what I want my daughter to do. And I think that's what makes me love myself is knowing that I can love people so hard, harder than they can love themselves. And I've been Mm -hmm. damaged by people. I didn't allow anybody to take that away from me. And so it's like, I can wake up in the morning and dance my butt off and love myself and be like, yeah. And I don't worry about the neighbors looking. Right. I don't care about nobody because I love me and God loves me so much. I'm worthy of me. Mm. So that's my answer. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Okay. So um, how did you end up? Because this isn't your first uh, youth peer job. Mm-mm. How did you end up getting your first peer youth peer job? Oh, my gosh. It was so random. And and why? And why why did you yeah, want to? Me. So, man, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> At first, I didn't I didn't care. I didn't care. This is where I started out. Mm-hmm. I was cleaning toilets and I was door dashing and trying to find ways to make money because I stopped working in daycare. 
because I was working in daycare for so long. Which fits your background. It does. And I forgot Makes to mention sense. that too. So I kind of missed out some pieces, but I was also a daycare teacher for heck long when I hit, I was 21. No, I was 20 years old and I worked in daycare for super duper long. But anyways, I stopped doing daycare because I was burnt out and I had a baby. So I was like, <laughs> I'm doing this at home all day. Yeah. I'm doing this at work all day. Where's the, ah! right. And so I was yeah. like praying and I was like, okay, universe, God, like, if you can bless me, I promise I'll bless other people. Please find me a position where I can bless others while you are blessing me. And so I was looking online. My mom was like, guess who I ran into? And I was like, who? Your old facilitator from Wise. And I'm like, oh. what? And she's like, yeah, she said they're hiring for a position. And I was like, yeah. She's like, do you remember when you had a youth peer? And I was like, I do, but I don't remember much because I was so young. Right. And so, so much has happened since that time frame. And it's not like you're going to remember, oh yeah, this is how it went. And right. these are the questions that were at. Right. You weren't in training. But you what, were... Period. All right. that I knew was like, she. I felt like she was my homie. I'm like, right, okay, right, we're right. kicking it. Like, okay. so Paid friend? Sweet. Literally. That's <laughs> what's going through my head. Right, so right. I'm like thinking, okay, so like, I went, but I was thinking she was also like a therapist. I was telling my mom, I don't have what it takes. I don't got education. I don't got that. She's like, just look it up. So I went on Indeed, looked it up, and it, see, it said that I didn't need education. You're allowed, but it wasn't needed. Right. And it reminded me of childcare, but with older youth. And I've done usually with like smaller kids, but my sister would tell me with teenagers, like I'm corny. Like I'm not, teenagers don't really vibe with me because my sister doesn't and her mm -hmm. friends they think i'm cool but they think i'm super goofy so i'm like whatever then i'll try it you know and i thought if i fail i fail that's the worst thing that's going to happen you know if the interview works it does if it doesn't who cares right. i applied they ended up hitting me up like a week later and when i was before i applied too, let me tell you all this i was working at a fundraising organization and i was standing outside and i was like I was getting people to sign up for No Kid Hungry. Don't know if you heard of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was working for them, but I was doing like a vendoring outside in the cold and it was just a fun, fast way to get money. So I was just hustling, hustling. And then I ended up getting a call back and I was like thinking, do I want to do this job? Like, oh my gosh, you were serious? <laughs> Dang it. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? This just got real. It got real. So I really got to do this. Hold up. And so I wasn't going to do it. And the day of the interview, I forgot I even had an interview. The lady called me. was like, Jaleesa, we're waiting for you. We're on Teams. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Darn it. So I just did it. I wasn't taking it seriously at the time. To be honest. I did the interview. I was so nervous. And I mentioned to them, by the way, guys, I'm highly nervous. But, you know, I'm here and I want to show up and I want to learn. They did the interview. I guess I did really well. They called me two weeks later, offered a position. There sure. Why not? I hustle all the time. It was Valley Cities. Took it and um, I went with it. And I'm not going to lie. That very like indecisive, unsure feeling, I would say was it was a joke. Like this has been the best job I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I wish I wasn't so like, oh, I want to do it. I don't want to do it. Like I wish I wasn't so scared of it, but I was so scared because I didn't think I was good enough. Sure. I didn't think I was worthy, but I did it for a year and I kicked butt. The best job oh, I've course you did. ever had. Of course you did. Yes. And the teenagers dig me. I'm low key cool. Yeah. That part. There you go. Yes. I have like the best experiences so far. Like these kiddos see me as like, like a mentor, not even a mentor, more of like a big sister. And I mm -hmm. always let them know all the time. Like these are the boundaries. These are unfortunately what I can do, what I can't do. But when they see me, they see me as someone that's like, dang, you've really been there before. Sure. 
I don't need to come across as like, oh my gosh, like, hello. Like, you can't tiptoe with these kids. You really got to come across as like this. The way I'm talking to on this podcast is the way that kids want to be talked to. You've got to be real. You got to keep it 100 and you got to let them know, like, give yourself grace. It's okay because they have adults in the back of their heads telling them like, Mm -hmm. no, Grace, this is not cool. Like, you're the problem because of X, Y, Z. So when I got to like go to meetings and advocate for these kids and hear their perspectives, I was like, wait a minute. I, hold up. <laughs> I need to really be doing this. This is my jam. This is my calling. And that's what made, that's what hit is just getting those clients and then making the connections with these kids and knowing that I was able to touch the hearts more than a therapist. A therapist is amazing. We love a therapist. It's always needed more than anything, but me being able to get that data from the kids mm-hmm. and to support their care plan with the therapist is what really made me feel like I want to stay and do this. Right. You know, it's like I'm doing a remix you know, let's do remix. Right. <laughs> do you think that, I mean, I mean, key part of peer support, right? Shared experience. Do, do you think those shared experiences are part of what helps? Absolutely. Like, they, 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 they're not going to surprise you. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. You've, you've, you've been there. You've done that. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not going to get judgy because you've been there. You've done that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Those lived experiences. And the, I think my favorite one of the lived experiences is when they're talking about like marijuana usage and they're like, so what is this? What is that? Cause it's like, kids are so quiet about it. And like, they're so, they're not quiet, obviously in the schools, mm-hmm. teachers know, but with their parents, parents have to constantly like guess, is my kid safe? Is my baby coming mm-hmm. home? And so being able to come to me and have these conversations and let me know how much they're using or where they're getting it from, it brings so much joy to my heart. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I can be a safe space for you to have these conversations with. Like you don't have to walk in the dark and just be, you know, optimistic. You can come, you can still do what you do without judgment, but you have somebody that you can come to and be like, Hey, I need to know more information. And so instead of me being like, no, don't do it. I'm like, this is my experience. Unfortunately, when I've done this at this age, I do feel like it's kind of lacked some of some skills for me as far as speaking, but what makes you want to do this? And what do you know about it? So you're giving those kids those, right. those ideas. So I'm giving them my lived experience, but I'm also having them open up their own thoughts to why are they really doing it? And how is it making them feel? Is it worth it for the long run? Right. Well, and, and being safe yeah. along the way, right? Yes. Um, for me growing up, uh, my sister, she's eight years older. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of things where, yeah, I couldn't talk to parents. Like, and I mean, they, yeah, just, it was just a weird thing. Like sometimes you need someone who isn't a parent. Yes. And she would have tips and tricks to where it's like, Hey, <laughs> yes, no, never. Right. Maybe once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that one either. Yep. Like, <laughs> yes. Whether it was her or her friends or whatever, there was experience there to be like, you trust me, right? Yeah, sis, I trust you. Yeah, don't yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. That part, that part. Like, so you're fi- so you're filling that role a lot of times. Yes, yes. Or it's like, I'll sit down with them and even do research, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just like, kids just want to know. And if they're constantly being told that something is bad or disgusting or whatever, they're most likely going to do it. And they're most likely going to be more curious on their own because they're like, there's no safe space. I'm sitting with this on my chest. I got to do it. Like what's going on with it? Right. You know, and I want to know, I want to know. And they're curious, like a three-year-old's going to want to know what glue tastes like. You can tell them don't eat the glue, but they're going to taste that glue because it looks like a string cheese. Right. (laughs) Right. That's a 
That's a good call. <laughs> yes. That's a good call. Okay. So you get into peer work and you love it. Yes. And now present day, you're working for dad's move. Yes. Um, where are you working? Yes. Where, what's your locations? Yes. So King County. I'm loving the King County location. Sometimes Pierce too. I have a couple clients over there. Um, but I've been like mainly focusing on the youth, you know, and um, I'll be doing a youth move chapter. Whoop, whoop. Woo. Yep. Hopefully very soon. We're trying to get some volunteers started right now. Get on, get the board going. I think that's the main important thing right now. And then me building my resources and connections with different community partners. Um, and I think that's what dad's move has been just so supportive for me with like mm-hmm. connecting and being able to build more experience as far as being able to attend webinars or attend symposiums, whatever it is. I've been doing so many different things I didn't do before. And then I realized my presentation as far as speaking, it's so much more confident. It's awesome. It's sharp. Back in the day, I, I didn't trust myself. I'm like, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk. And then I have, I've had a learning disability my whole life. I've always struggled with speech, math, writing, whatever it is. And so being here with dad's move, I'm kind of able to challenge myself and show like, you don't got to be that stigma. Awesome. You can do it all. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. So what's, what's your favorite part of working with dad's move right now? Being able to work with you guys. Being able, yeah, being able to learn from like my staff. I feel like we can't do this work without each other. Mm. Some days it can be difficult. We all have our whole, our hard days, but I have to remind myself it's a bad day, not a bad job. Mm. That's what it's about. And I'm, I'm getting paid to be able to touch hearts and connect with people. And it's not even just like you, the youth. It's like I'm connecting with people from different agencies and organizations and learning that it takes a, a community. It takes a village to be able to support families in our communities. So that's my favorite part. It's just being to walk the walk and talk the talk as it of it takes a community. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, I think that's just about it. Really? Yeah. Unless you have anything else you want to go into or any other... No, I mean, my main biggest thing that I can say, anybody that does this work, you're an empath. This work is empath empath work. It can be difficult. It can be beautiful. It could be ugly, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, when you go home, you're touching somebody's heart and you're saving someone from themselves. And um, I just remember where I came from and the way that I felt back in the day. And I'm really happy that I'm able to show people that I get it. I literally get you. And this is what we can do. Like, this, let's try it out. Let's try different methods. So I don't know. I just, I'm happy that I'm doing this work. And I hope that we can find more people to continue to walk, walk with us and to just show what it really takes to touch hearts out there. Because it's more than just a conversation. It really is. And yeah. And I wouldn't do this work without my mom. I will say that. That before I end this. Y'all got to know. And we can do a podcast with her if you guys want. Boom. If it wasn't for my mom, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. So, and not even just the birth part. I'm talking about <laughs> motivation in her story. She has such a beautiful story. So humble. And she will be a therapist very, very soon. So awesome. Yes. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for mom. having me. <laughs> Thanks for being on. There you go, Julissa Wilson, youth peer for Dad's Move. Thanks for listening. My name's Joe Saladino, and we'll see you next time.